Hi, this is Dr. Linda Mintel. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Our website is filled with more encouraging interviews, all accessible at MyFaithRadio.com. Do everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, the Relationship Doctor, and I'm here along with my co-host, the other Dr. Mintel, my husband, Norm. And every weekend, we're here, we're doing life together, and we're so glad that you've joined us. Indeed, indeed, indeed. We are glad. Uh, I have a question for our audience. Is that okay if I ask? Sure. Okay, good. Do you know someone who's emotionally stuck but refuses to get help? <laughs> well, I can't see the answers. I don't know who's responding, Norm. <laughs> yeah. Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. We do. Lots of them. And there could be a lot of reasons, right? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why people are hesitant to get therapy or counseling. Sometimes you don't want that on your insurance Mm. um, because of maybe a job or something. So there's a lot of reasons that we could discuss. But as a therapist for over 20 years, I think I've heard a lot of the reasons why people won't get help. And what really struck me when I was thinking about the concept for this show, Norm, was the reasons that have to do with sort of myths Mm. that relate to why people don't go. So I'm not saying there's not legitimate reasons why sometimes people don't go, Um, but there are a number of sort of ideas Mm. that are often fueled by media and other things that are maybe not. Like the couch in your office? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I do have a couch. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I do have one of those, but um, I I really want to get at some of those myths so that we can help people get the help that they really need. Good. Let's do that. You may find yourself actually believing some of these myths. So hopefully we can help you reconsider and get help if you need it. Let's begin with the most common myth, I think. If I go to therapy, it must mean I'm crazy. I know. I had to deal with this with my own family Mm. (laughs) because they thought that that was the case. And, you know, the people that have come to therapy with me for over the years are just every day high-functioning people, people that are not functioning well, all it just runs the spectrum sure. of everybody. Sometimes people just have a situation and they want to talk it through with someone. Sometimes it's a very serious problem. Sometimes there's been some tragedy or trauma that's happened. There are many, many reasons, but it's not because you're crazy, right? right? And right. so part of the problem is, is that therapy isn't quite as stigmatized as it used to be. Mm-hmm. But I think that stigma about going to therapy still exists. Mm -hmm. Don't you? Well, I do. I do. I think it's a stereotype. I think there's another one that the people who go to therapy just can't manage their own life and they're very weak. The irony is going to therapy means you are strengthening your life and your resilience and improving yourself. You're taking action to make things better. It's really just the opposite, right? Yeah. So I I do think that that stigma around mental illness or just even going in for counseling is still there. And because of that, people feel shame or they feel some reluctance that they even have a problem. Like, I shouldn't be having problems because look at all the people who aren't going. Right. But it really isn't about that. And as I mentioned before, I don't think media has helped us no, because no. 
how many movies have we watched or television shows when I go, oh my gosh, that would absolutely never happen. Sure. Or you would never say that to a patient or you would never cross that boundary right. or you would never do that. So it's weird to me how they portray therapy in such unhealthy ways. I can think of, we were watching some TV show and it was like, Every time the therapist did something, I say, you'd never say that to a patient. You'd never do that to a client. And the other thing is, one of the hesitancies, I think, it costs money mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. help. And although there there are sliding scale programs, I want people to know that. So there are lower cost options. So if you're thinking, I can't do it because I don't have insurance or I don't have the, the money to go look for a program, usually those are community mental health places that have sliding scale, very low fee for service. Um, But even finding access to those is really a problem in our culture. There's so many people who need the help and can't get the help because there's a lack of people available to help them. Do you think that some people who have insurance, health insurance, may not think that that applies to uh, a therapeutic or counseling situation? Yeah, it, it, I think so. And there was it was interesting. I had a conversation with a young man yesterday, and he was looking through a health care policy. And I asked him, I said, look at, because he thought that they might use the mental health benefit. And I said, well, look at the benefit specifically. And actually, the policy had a pretty good one. Good. And it paid for partial, doesn't pay for all of that. But if it's money, you just might have to do some research and find out. And again, community services boards do have long waiting lists. Mm-hmm. But if you can get in and get started, there's a lot of programs now. Medicaid, which is the program that is for people that have lower incomes, that has really expanded its reach in most of the states. And so you may be eligible when you weren't before. That's great. I think also sometimes there are cultural or ethnic issues, aren't there, for some people? I mean, some cultural beliefs uh, that therapy means you're weak or brings shame to your family, those things still exist. Mental health issues are not discussed in some families at all. And sometimes the church is part of this negativity. I know my own father, who was a missionary, thought that Jesus was the answer to everything and we didn't need to worry about psychology or therapy. Yeah, and we know Jesus is the answer, right. but it's would you say that to somebody that has diabetes? Right. You know, so it's a little bit the same mm-hmm. where there are genetic causes that we now know for some types of mental illness like we know for bipolar that has a very specific organic base to it, and even something like obsessive compulsive disorder we think has a pretty strong genetic um component there. We definitely know that substance use has a strong, strong uh, genetic family inheritance. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't look at medical disease and say, you don't need treatments, you just need Jesus. You would use what's available. And while I always point people to Jesus, I would also say there are a lot of very practical things that we can do in therapy to get people help. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to go back to a couple of things that you said. It is true with a lot of cultures, and I work with medical students who come from lots of different backgrounds and lots of different cultures. And when we get into mental health, when we get into psychiatry, a lot of them will say, well, in my culture, you're not supposed to talk about that, or you don't bring up those problems, or you would never go to a therapist because it would bring shame Shame. on the family. So you have to think about those cultural issues. But I would say, you know, figure out a way to work with those, but don't let that stop you from getting help because we also know that if you don't get the help, in some of those cases, it can lead to suicide or some very serious issues that are going on. Mm -hmm. 
I think we know that the body, mind, and spirit are all connected. So we have to kind of overcome some of these stereotypes to realize we need help in one of those to help the others. Yeah, and we don't want to wait till you get so, you know, so you get so impaired or you hit rock bottom to something before you get that help. We, we want to be able to walk you through these difficult times and be alongside. So therapy is very collaborative. Mm. And it is something that can be helpful to you. And again, if you go to a Christian therapist, someone who's a Christian who does that type of therapy, that person is going to recognize that there are times, Norm, when God radically changes a person. It doesn't always happen, you know, especially with substance use. We have seen times when people have just radically lost the craving, radically Mm -hmm. lost their... Mm -hmm. Miraculously. Yeah. But that isn't always the case. So we need that help and we can use prayer. We can, you know, point people to scripture. We can tell them the Holy Spirit is in there working with them. So it's not incompatible to your biblical worldview to get this type of help. Let's look at another myth I've heard. I'm doomed because my family is so dysfunctional. Yeah, well, show me one that isn't, and we'll probably all move to that neighborhood, right? <laughs> and when we move, there's no guarantee that that family won't become dysfunctional. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> but you would agree, right? There is a lot of dysfunction in families. I mean, you've... Yeah, I mean, that. that is a lot of times what brings people into um, a therapy session with me, and uh, and that sometimes is the root of that, because we learn from our families. We learn the patterns that they teach us when we're growing up. And some of those patterns are great and some of them are not so great. And sometimes people don't recognize those dysfunctional pattern. And what you can do in therapy is that you can actually get to those patterns and decide what you want to change. But when you talk about your family therapy, you're not really blaming them, right? No, no. So blaming them isn't going to do anybody any good, but they do contribute. They teach you how to cope. Families teach you how to deal with your emotions. They teach you a lot of different things. So again, the emphasis that I have on there is that you can't change your family, but you can change your response to them. And you can look at that family and you can say, okay, I see that pattern. I don't want to repeat that pattern. I'm going to work to change it. I can change my reaction to it. A lot of times we talk to young couples or other friends and they're not even aware that families have patterns. Right. I, I mean, I guess for us, it's everyday occurrence because you've been studying it our entire marriage. And we but... had to do it for right, my degrees. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, so for example, let's just use an example. If your dad didn't talk about his problems and he drank every night to numb himself, you might learn to do the same thing. Now, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't like the drinking, but you might learn to numb with marijuana or shopping or spending money or food or anything that distracts you from dealing with the problem. So if you look at your pattern and you say, there was a pattern in my family where my dad didn't deal with things and he medicated it. I don't want to do that and I don't need to repeat that. But sometimes if we're unaware of those patterns, we don't see them. And uh, we have to understand that it takes time and it takes intention to change those patterns. That's good. So we're going to take a break and when we come back, we'll look at some more myths that keep people out of getting help from a therapist. More on the Dr. Linda Mental Show right after this. Social media can be a real source of jealousy in our culture. 
It's so easy to be envious of a friend's fitness progress, a family member's new car, or a colleague's promotion. Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Mintel, the Relationship Doctor, and I know I'm not the only one who plays the comparison game on social media. But if our self-worth is measured in the number of hearts our Instagram gets, we're missing the point big time. Instead of obsessing over the number of thumbs up you get, ask yourself, are my actions worthy of a thumbs up from God? I promise you, he doesn't care what your outfit of the day is or if you're drinking your first Starbucks red cup of the season. God already gave you a double tap when he knit you in your mother's womb. And the only filter we need is Christ himself, who erases our imperfections and makes us holy. Having lots of followers is great, but remember, God asked us to follow him first. And you can tweet that. Welcome back. You're listening to the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Our topic today is reasons why we stay emotionally stuck. For more help on this very topic and other relationship issues, you can follow Dr. Linda on her social media outlets at Dr. Linda Mental on X and Instagram, Dr. Linda Mental author and speaker on Facebook. Her website is drlindamental.com. That has blogs and links to her many books she's written, especially the one that relates to our topic today, Getting Unstuck. So back to the uh, issue of myths, there seem to be a lot of opportunities for us to avoid our problems and cope in very unhealthy ways, aren't there? Don't you think that's America? I think it seems <laughs> Pretty like much it. giving us a menu of ways to cope except for the good ways. And so mm-hmm. I get frustrated, again, when I watch media, movies and TV stories, and I think, that's not a healthy way to cope with things. Right. But we don't see a lot of good coping models. And... You know, committing to change, Norm, it involves really believing that that change is important and then finding ways to do it. And that means you have to have some confidence that you can overcome the obstacles that are involved in change Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and tolerate some level of discomfort in that process. So when I teach students, medical students, what do you look for when a patient wants to change? We look for two things. Is the change important? Mm-hmm. And are they confident that they can overcome the obstacles with a plan? Well, you're helping them with a plan. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the therapist is just coming alongside of you and saying, okay, these are the things that get in the way of when you're trying to change. And we're going to work through those, talk through those, talk about different ways to handle those and overcome those obstacles. And anytime we make a change. It feels a little uncomfortable. Sure. Whenever you change a job, right. whenever you change a neighborhood, whatever it is, there's this little bit of discomfort that you have to tolerate with change. And one of the reasons that people stay in the same unhealthy patterns is because it just feels familiar. Mm. Doesn't mean they love it. Right. Doesn't mean this is how they want to be, but it's very familiar. Right. So basically, therapy and counseling may not be easy, but if you're trying to improve yourself, the results could be wonderful. Yeah, and that's and you have to go into the process, and I tell people that this is going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to be hard work mm. because you're changing a pattern that has probably been there since childhood. Probably. It's going to take right. some time. Right. Yeah. All right, let's get back to the myths about getting help. Here's one that We've seen in movies, we've been blasting the media portrayals <laughs> of your profession. They but deserve it. Here's another one. And, and I, I alluded to this at the beginning of our program about the couch. Yeah. And, uh, but tied to that is getting in touch with my inner child. By lying down on the couch. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've had couches in my therapy offices. You've seen them. 
I mean, we took one in right. to one of my offices, but you know, I typically don't have people lie down on them. I typically do. They ask if they're supposed to. Well, no, because I don't do an analysis. So okay. that type of that type of approach is always portrayed in the movies. You see that when people are doing that, it's that they have a psychoanalysis. They're mm-hmm. doing psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. and it's a type of therapy. It's not the most common of what you're going to find. There's people that are trained in that. It's where you freely associate. It's a very Freudian type of thing. I don't okay. do that kind of therapy. Okay. So my couch is there. Um, we do look at, though, what has happened to people in the past that's impacting their current. So we do do that. Um, but I don't have I, – I have a couch. We, we sit on it, No, basically. I, your offices have always been warm and friendly, you know, welcoming. Yeah, because I, I want to put people at ease and build a trust and a relationship with them. That's really important when you're asking people to be vulnerable and work on their inner selves. It's all about confidentiality and trust. So tell me more about confidentiality. Aren't there some regulations that protect people? Yeah, most people have heard of HIPAA. When we say HIPAA, that stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act that was put into place in 1996. That's called HIPAA. You see that whenever you go to a doctor's office. Same is true when you go to counseling. They're going to have you sign one of those forms. And it is a federal law that requires the creation of national standards to protect patient health information. Mm -hmm. And that means it can't be disclosed without your consent or your knowledge. That means that a therapist, a doctor can't talk about what they hear in therapy without your consent. So HIPAA can be legally broken though in certain situations. I want to make that really clear. It's it's really emergency situations, Mm. like when someone is suicidal or when someone is homicidal or when someone is what we call psychotic, which means they're They're not in reality. And depending on which state you live in, it can also be for abuse and certain types of domestic violence. So basically when someone is in imminent danger. But otherwise it's all confidential. Yes, yes, that's right. It's no one's business but your own, and your information is not shared, would never be shared without your consent. Okay, let's go back to another myth. I do think part of the stigma about seeing a therapist is the idea that we're all victims and we all overreact to things. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like, a, it almost seems like it's an all or nothing response. Either people don't want to go because, ah, you know, just get over it. Right. Or, or people are going for every little thing that maybe common sense and some good community support could help, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think um, there is a real push in our culture to be seen as a victim. Hmm. So that's part of the problem is that there are times when you just need to do the right thing and not play that role. But that is not what's at the basis of going to a counselor. Right. That's just common sense, everyday problems that a lot of people want to cry victim, 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 woe is me, right? Yeah. And and so I, I sometimes I'll say this when I'm giving talks to other therapists that are that are coming from a Christian perspective, when there's a lot of blame that's constantly going around and people are saying it was this person's fault, it was that person's fault. I, you know, I, I kind of use this where I say, well, on the day of judgment, I can't imagine that God's going to allow us, is going to allow us to parade a long line of people or circumstances that prevented us from taking responsibility. <laughs> so I don't think he's going to say, oh, I knew your mother, pass. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, yeah, you had a rotten husband, okay, you're in. You know, yeah. you're, you're ultimately going to have to be responsible for your reactions mm-hmm. to these probably very difficult people in sure. your life and how you walked out your faith. So, 
you need to resolve trauma that's happened to you. You need to resolve loss. You need to move on to a better future. And there's hope to do that if you see a really competent Christian counselor. Right. So there is hope and you don't have to live with it yourself. What about the idea that I'll be in therapy for the rest of my life if I go? Well, if you are, you probably need to question the therapist or the counselor because Mm. the whole idea of counseling is that you're supposed to get the help you need, but you're supposed to be able to stand on your own two feet. So get those things, you know, solved, get those patterns changed. Now that could take a while, and I'm not going to put a number on that, but a good counselor, especially someone who understands the transforming power of God, isn't going to say you have to be there forever. Right. Some some problems take longer to solve. Some patterns are more deeply ingrained. Mm-hmm. The longer you're stuck in a pattern of behavior, it may take longer to get out of it, but the goal is to get you out of that office and functioning on your own. I've often heard you say that the goal is to get people healthy and out doing what God has called them to do in their life. That's exactly right. Right. That's right. There are problems, though, we know, like addictions that have mm-hmm. physical dependence associated with them, and those probably take longer? Well, they take longer sometimes, and they also have multiple parts associated with them. So it's one thing to get help with detox and withdrawal physically from a physician, but then the brain remembers all kinds of environmental cues that trigger Mm -hmm. you to use. Mm -hmm. So if you have developed uh, some type of, you need to develop a trigger inventory, you need to go to groups like AA or Celebrate Recovery to get the support you need. Some people do go to AA for all of their life. They just feel like they've built a community. It's a safe place. It keeps them accountable. There's um, trust. There's They take responsibility. They keep each other. And sometimes there are AA members that go and they give back to the new members who are coming and they stay a part of that organization. Because these are people who understand your your struggle and they've been through it. And sometimes it's really hard to stay sober. Something can trip you up 10, 10 years later, 15 years later, and AA can be that accountability place. So I would just say this for addiction, a 30-day detox is not going to cut it. Mm -hmm. Addiction takes time. It takes humility. It takes surrender to the power of that drug. You have to do intentional work to not respond to the triggers that are stored in your brain. And it's really difficult to do this work alone. And that's why people a lot of times have setbacks is because they think, oh, I got this. I can handle this. It's not a big deal. But they don't fully understand the chronic brain disease that's involved in addiction. Mm -hmm. So many of our listeners are, many of them are Christians or would probably prefer a Christian therapist. How do we begin to find one? I mean, yellow pages? No, I I would, are there yellow pages? I don't know. Probably (laughs) online. You can do them online. Um, Look for people who are licensed. So there's a licensed professional counselor, a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed clinical psychologist, or if you want a marriage and family therapist, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and some psychiatrists actually also do um, therapy. Now, they're a physician who is trained in psychiatry to do mostly medication, but they do, some people do do therapy. Look for people who do work that's evidence-based. They have a good track record. Um, they are doing things that have been proven to be work. That's what evidence-based means. And if you need to have medications prescribed, a psychiatrist will probably have to be on your team. Okay. Well, we know it's important to do it, and especially if you're a believer, but God is involved in all of this. We know that the pursuit of happiness is also 
often the goal of secular counseling, but the goal of Christian counseling is to help us pursue God and to let the Holy Spirit help heal us. That's right. And get a Christian counselor because their worldview is going to inform everything they talk to you about in therapy. So I am I am a very big supporter of a Christian who is also trained well and licensed and is is somebody who can help you because you're going to need someone who can speak from the Christian culture sure. and what the Bible has to say. So this is also one of the reasons why I would say building a Christian community is so important. You need other people to do life together, to reinforce your Christian beliefs, stay true to God's word. That's why we do this show. And that's why our tagline is to do life together because we need each other to walk out our faith. We need to stay in the truth, be reminded of what is right, not do whatever feels good to us or walk in our truth, walk in God's truth. Be encouraged. If you need the help, find a Christian counselor or therapist and get that help today. Well, that's all the time we have today. Many thanks to my co-host, Normental, who makes the show a conversation, and to our technical producer, Katie Sims. From all of us here at Faith Radio, hey, we'll talk to you again next weekend. In the meantime, remember... We're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Doing life together. Well, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.